Welcome back, everyone. This is Yoga Uncensored with Kane and Mark. Hey, Kane. Hey, man. <laughs> so we got a really juicy topic for you guys today to talk about. Um, it's a talk on emotions, and specifically, we're talking about anger. Um, we're going to do a series of talk on different emotions because feelings and emotions are such an integral part of human experience, and actually, it's a one of the things that we work with really closely in the practice of meditation and yoga is something that comes up a lot. So we want to do our best to explore some of these emotions in depth because emotions in general, there are a lot of taboos in our culture. A lot of us feel like we can't express them in front of other people. Um, certain emotions are heavily stigmatized. Um, it's not socially or politically correct to express them in different situations. So we tend to hide them. Um, maybe they're uncomfortable to feel as well. So we tend to repress them internally and distract ourselves from feeling them. And as a result, it creates a lot of problems in our life, in our relationship, um, in our health as well. So we wanna take this opportunity to go a little deeper, dive into some of these emotions, talk about them, take some of the stigmatism, the shame and the oppression around emotion away and to sort of permission us to feel emotion again and to explore them and to allow feeling of emotion to be part of our practice yeah can you yeah so i mean what, yeah. the way we're phrasing that is the yoga of emotions and mm -hmm. and today's feature emotion is anger um so our idea was to bring all of the emotions into the practice um, and whether we call that yoga or meditation or mindfulness or self-cultivation or self-understanding um, we're using the term yoga so how can we yogically work with with all emotions but um, we'll go sort of one by one and, and look at them and look at their unique features and their unique expressions so um, the emotion of the day is fear so anger yeah anger <laughs> <laughs> Um, are you feeling afraid of talking about anger? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a touchy topic. Yeah, right. I would say. I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's probably the one that that socially, you know, in public, mm -hmm. we're least free to express without right. feeling judged. Right. Well, it's kind of like the evil, <laughs> the evil emotion in a sense, because anger expressed in its most intense state is very threatening. It can be very violent. And it can scare people, right? It could be scary. The consequences of anger are very scary. Right. We can do some really horrible things when we're in that state. Right. So it's reasonable. Yeah. I think, you know, under the label negative emotions, mm -hmm. it probably gets, you know, top of the list kind of. So we feel it's really important to, to take anger out of the demon box mm -hmm. and and just put it you know in its rightful place which is its pure expression of energy and it's physiological it has a somatic base so maybe as our starting point 
talking about how anger feels in the body and, and we encourage anybody to, to describe how their experience of anger is in their body, maybe in the comment section, but we'll talk a little bit about how we've seen it in our experience and what we see in students. Um, so anger has this rising up quality and expanding out quality. It has a pokey, um, hot component to it. Um, it has an explosive component to it. Um, it tends to move up, out, and forward. It tends to have an advancing component to it. Um, it tends to come up into the mouth and into the eyes and into the frontal part of the head um, or expand out from the arms and the hands or into the chest. Um, so it's definitely related to, to a sense of defense mechanism, like a primal defense mechanism. Um, it tends to kind of open the throat and connect to the tongue and create a kind of sound vibration that's very penetrating and very sharp. Um, you can sort of identify, even if you don't speak languages, you can identify the vibration of anger. You know, if you hear somebody yelling in a language you don't understand, you can often kind of hear that, that sharpness to it. Um, in terms of the organs, it relates to the liver. Um, in terms of the, the rest of the body, it relates to kind of the sinews becoming really tight and wanting to, to move very quickly and in an angular way, kind of sharp lines of defense. Um, those are some of that kind of yeah. the primal energies of, yeah. of anger. Well, it's a very primal emotion. And I associate it to when we perceive that we're under attack. So we feel like we have to attack back to feel okay or to feel safe. Mm. Right? Anger often comes up as a desire to assert boundaries and protection and to attack what's out there to keep ourselves safe. Yeah, right. Mm. So it's it's a tricky one, right? Because it's it's it gets coupled with this notion of setting boundaries or this notion of, of defending our position or our place or our body or our beliefs or and very easily becomes anger so it's it often isn't helpful in a position of describing someone's beliefs or someone's position and and because it gets demonized and it gets shut down it then sort of doubles and triples because one of the elements of of anger's um, growth is that when it's put under pressure it tends to push back with double strength and so we kind of have a, a, a difficult situation with anger not having free expression in our culture is that it often becomes stagnated. Hmm. And so when anger becomes repressed or, or limited or there's shame put on top of anger, it usually doesn't come out in its natural, in the moment, raw expression and then gets, gets subdued and gets sort of put in a to-do later box somewhere in our emotional being um, and then that produces a different type of expression of anger almost anger because anger didn't have its own freedom um, so i think there is where we start to get a really interesting relationship between anger and all types of other feelings and anger and physiological um, adaptations in the body um, maybe we can talk a little bit about some of those Kind of physiological adaptations and connections to to anger sort of like if if anger doesn't have the freedom to be expressed then and we shut it down we might sort of like close the chest which in a physio physiological defense situation 
to kind of round the shoulders and close the chest, it protects the most important organs of the body. And so if someone didn't have the opportunity to express their anger, like whether it's verbally or physiologically, sometimes young kids can't express the anger verbally because they can't put it into words. And since socially it's not accepted to express it physically because it's kind of makes everybody uncomfortable, that might get shut down and then result in a kind of postural change or a physiological change in one of the organs or in one of the tissues. Mm. That's a kind of rudimentary description of how anger can function if it's repressed over time. But um, I think it's important to understand that, that whenever the raw energy of any emotion, but particularly anger, is manipulated or oppressed, because it's a physiological body-based experience, it has a physiological body-based adaptation. And then that usually makes the ability to feel and process the raw anger more complicated. Uh, it's mm -hmm. like it has less space to, mm -hmm. to move. And mm -hmm. when anger has less space to move, like we said, it usually shows up stronger. Yeah, it can become explosive. And at a certain point, when it becomes so excessive, I think the system can shut down. Right? Mm -hmm. It can go into a numb state or when the energy compresses so much, the anger, because it's such a powerful energy. Mm -hmm. To contain it requires a quite a bit of energy on top of it to contain. And I think in Chinese medicine, it leads to stagnation of the liver energy. And once it might even affect one's capacity towards assertiveness or openness, um, it leads to depression, they mm -hmm. say, right? When the liver energy gets stagnant enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's break that down a little bit more because I think that's that's not a common kind of connection that's made in Western understanding of mm -hmm. emotion. So can you mm. flush that out? The last part? Yeah, like anger, de depression. Yeah, so. well, because, so earlier on we were talking about, not in this talk, but before the, before the recording, we we're talking about sort of the irritation and how that leads to anger. Mm. So Like a spectrum. Yeah, so as a human being, naturally, there's a desire for expression there's a natural desire for assertiveness. There's a natural desire for setting boundaries, right? There's a natural desire to express yourself. And somehow, if that gets stifled or threatened, we might act in a way to defend ourselves or to assert ourselves even more strongly. And when the oppression becomes strong enough, it turns into a form of anger, right? We have to we feel like to bust through something to get to the other side or to keep our self-identity and protect it. Hmm. Um, things like that. But when that expression becomes more and more stifled, for example, if in our lives we see this potential for uh, success in our lives, right? And we go out and try to get a good paying job and partner in this ideal life and this car and blah, blah, blah. But then we run into challenges over and over and over and over and over. After a while, we start to get a little irritated, right? And it can turn into frustration. And then we'll get really angry because we can't get what we need. We can't assert our vision, mm -hmm. our ideal, our expression. And then eventually when that goes on long, for a long time, it often turns into a form of apathy and depression because the energy is just blocked. Right? And so in Chinese medicine, the liver has to do with the circulation of your energy, your qi. So when that assertive energy is constantly blocked in our lives in some way, shape or form, over time it can lead to a stagnation of that energy in the body, which can turn into depression. So as far as I understand, that's... Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the raw energy of that emotion wants to rise up and expand out. And, and if it just does that in an uninhibited way, 
then it sort of liberates itself and make it makes room mm. but if it's constantly given less space than it wants to move then it sort of turns into its opposite which is it sort of shuts down and then becomes kind of heavy and and, and stuck mm. and it's in a sense like it's rotting like if i imagine you know mm. sort of the vision of like a bamboo rising up as this kind of expression of liver energy and it keeps getting pushed down eventually if it can't grow it then starts to decay a little bit and i think of that energy mm. of sort of decay as drawing down and having a very heavy kind of damp energy to it yeah so yeah i mean it's so it's like how how can we gain an understanding of of this of this character like we're, we're really kind of bringing anger into a conversation and we're entering into a relationship with it as a yoga practice to get to really know it and so maybe it's interesting if we sort of ask you know anger like how it functions and what all of the mm -hmm. related components are to it so we can really understand who who this character is that's a great i think i like that segue and so the, what comes up for me is like when do we get angry you know kind of flushing out okay what are all the different circumstances where anger comes up and also a really interesting conversation that we had earlier was what's the difference between assertiveness and anger mm -hmm. so it'd be cool to start from Okay, what are different circumstances for you or for me we can talk about maybe uh, or some examples we've heard of even of when anger arises just yeah. to define anger. Yeah, so I think, you know, for me, I think about two different ways of relating to anger. One is like totally circumstantial that doesn't seem like it has a lot of subtext or a lot of history. It's an it's an isolated incident that occurs, that triggers a feeling of anger. So, you know, we were talking about, we live in the Bay Area, there's traffic often, you know? So um, I wanted to take my wife to a special movie that was happening over the hill in Santa Cruz. A friend told us about it, it's supposed to be really good. And I made a date and we sort of thought we did really good planning going at a time where there's not gonna be traffic on a Sunday. Got onto the 17 freeway and it was completely stop and go. It was gonna take us an hour and a half. We missed the movie. So there was that, you know, isolated incident of like, I had a plan, I executed with, you know, what I thought was good, you know, forethought, and then it sort of got shot down, right? The circumstances blocked the expression of, of that plan and what I wanted to achieve. And so there was that moment of like frustration and, and a kind of like, damn it, you know? And then, and then the next moment, was a feeling of like being feeling sad that that experience wasn't going to happen and that to see that my wife felt you know let down mm -hmm. and so the whole thing sort of self-resolved within a few minutes and we changed the plan and went to a different you know did something different that evening but sort of the initial response of being blocked was to feel that kind of frustration and kind of bang the steering wheel and be like damn it okay what are we going to do now um and then to sort of quickly realize that actually Beneath that feeling was a feeling of like of loss, like that I was angry because I lost the opportunity to provide this experience for my sweetheart that I thought was going to be really fun and to kind of have a pleasant, you know, an experience of pleasantness. And so in, in that moment, it 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 was very sort of two pieced, right? So frustration and then sadness sadness let go and then kind of make another plan that is a very simple you know isolated event of anger a situation where something triggers an uh, an anger that might have deeper tendrils 
would be like a situation of not feeling like there's enough room to express physical energy, right? So like I'm a very physical kind of person. I need like a lot of room to like bounce around and, and quote spaz out. So that's usually not really supported when you're in, you know, your school years. And, and so it wasn't, you get an hour of recess, and, but I had enough energy for 10 hours of recess and there wasn't enough time to move. So in situations where there's not enough space to move physical energy in a way that doesn't necessarily conform to the norms of what might be appropriate in the moment, there can be a feeling of that kind of oppressive stagnation. There's physically not enough room to move. So an example I think about is a really long flight, you know, flying to India. I have to get up and walk around and move my breath and move my body. Otherwise I start feeling irritated. And it's like, why am I irritated? It's so uncomfortable. It's primarily there's not enough space to move energy hmm. and to kind of get exercise and move that raw physicality. So if I don't do that, it can build up a, an anger that would trigger a memory of anger of being a kid in fifth grade, being told to sit still and I just want to like go climb a tree, you know, so kind of that much more complex experience of anger that's related to history. So, mm. you know, as a, as a very physical male that if that energy gets really shut down, it can go to rage and go to kind of the feeling of violence. Like, and it did as a teenager, it was like, there's not enough room to move. And I've been sitting in high school class from eight 30 till two 30 and get home. It's like, I want to punch the bed or, or something, you know, as a 15 year old. Mm. Right. And I didn't have the understanding back then, but now sort of seeing it as energy, I understand it just needed move, you know, it needed room to move. Mm. So, you know, and it's like shouting isn't really, you know, okay socially, but first time I went to China and, and went to a Chinese hospital in the mountains and met people who were prescribed shouting in the, in the morning hours, <laughs> the rising sun as a way to move that energy, you know, nice. to fill the valley with their frustration mm. and to give it space. And no one was judging them. I thought it was so brilliant. You know, mm. they had more room because their cultural relationship to the emotion of anger wasn't really negative. It was just another emotion and they needed space to express that. That's amazing. I actually have <laughs> that, that brought up a memory in college when I used to run out with my housemates my roommates, my dorm mates, we used to run out onto the balcony of our apartment on campus and just yell at the it's top of our lungs <laughs> and just run back into our, right. our apartment and do that over and over and over. And it was so cathartic. During finals week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck! Yeah, you're like, you know, 19, 20. <laughs> so much energy, right? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting that you, okay, so you're saying that for you, it's often an experience of your assertive or expressive energy being, again, oppressed or repressed that kind of bundles up and builds up and it turns into this sort of frustration, like you not being able to get something you wanted or express your way, express your energy in such a way that had to do with getting somewhere you wanted to get, experience you wanted to have, right? right? Yeah. Or you can express yourself physically, emotionally or whatever, could turn into frustration and into anger. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, like the, it's the blocked feeling that mm -hmm. produces that. Yeah, that, that stagnation and that, that sort of friction and the tension that builds. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. For me, when I think about anger, I think about um, it's more sort of social mm. situations where, for example, when I get upset and I'm driving when someone cuts me off, when I 
get into the emotion of it. Or if someone's, you know, the fast lane and I'm in, I'm rushing, right? I need, cause I'm late and I should have left early. It's my fault, but still you get mad for the person driving in front of you. And you know, it's unreasonable, you know, but then in some part of my mind, when I look a little, when I look a little closer, cause I've had that opportunity so many times driving the 17 weekly, right? Um, what I notice is that I feel like that person that what I have the dialogue I have going in my head is like, Oh, this person doesn't see me. They don't care about me. I don't matter to them. And mm. then I get angry. Mm. And then I look at these other situations where I get upset in that way. And it's very similar for me. And that's my deeper mm. trigger. I think is feeling unacknowledged, unseen, unheard, not understood. This sort of feeling invisible thing mm. tends to trigger this experience of like frustration and futility and pain. I think is what's underneath it. Mm. And that turns into this frustration and this anger. Like I want to like lash out and just make it different or something, somehow get what I need, but it usually doesn't work, you know, that strategy. But so yeah. it's like dip, dip, just the word diminished, like mm. that, like in that yeah, that's, a, that's an experience. Totally diminished. Yeah. And then, cause it's interesting. Like I, I, I did, I thought it was totally different, but now I'm feeling the the energy of it is like there's not as there's not enough space to express like if you're trying to pull in and and people keep cutting you off it's mm -hmm. like i'm here and i occupy space and i have i have value and volition mm -hmm. and i'm intending to do something which isn't like against others it's just it, yeah. it, it's it's exerting the fact that i exist and i have a right to drive in this lane right and then and then it's like that energy is being blocked right no you can't get in no you can't get in or i'm right. going to keep taking your space it's like a mm -hmm. i see that as like it's devaluing yeah in a way and yeah. then the, the response is like the, the, screw you <laughs> well yeah the anger wants to exclaim existence you know right. like hey i exist you know mm -hmm. and in a mm -hmm. sense it's like that's a pure that's the pure expression of anger i kind of just mm -hmm. understood that it's like you have every right to exist every person have has every right to exist within their capacity within the amount of space that they can influence mm -hmm. um and if that is diminished or that that that, that space is closed in upon then a kind of response is to fill fill the space right because there's a again a building of tension right there's energy trying to move or desiring to move in one vector or direction and there's some sort of limitation that's being imposed and when that that builds tension there's energy moving in two different directions mm -hmm. against each other mm -hmm. and after a while it creates friction and heat right right so heat is generated through friction right, right? like if you take a piece of wood and you scrape it against something else and you go over and over and over and over and over and over and that tension and that building of that uh that intense coming up against creates heat right. and generates fire right yeah so that's what's happening in the psyche and the emotional body because the other example that i feel um angers when i'm trying to assert something in a relationship right like a boundary or telling someone to stop doing something because it's painful to me or mm -hmm. you know anything like that and if somehow that's not being heated over time, it turns into frustration and eventually I, I just get really angry, mm. right? Cause I'm like, why don't you hear me? I'm saying, don't do this. I can't handle this. Please don't do that. And why are you blah, blah. And again, it's like, I'm trying to get an experience or have something. It's not being sort of returned that, that understanding is not being returned and I'm not unable to have the experience that I want. So then I get frustrated and angry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I'll be fascinated to hear what other people's mm -hmm. like scenarios are because to me, all the pieces that we've touched on all have this 
element of reduction of space, mm -hmm. whether it's psychological or physical or emotional kind of the person's not giving you the space to assert who you are and what your value is. And for that to be upheld, the space for that to be upheld, mm -hmm. like just, you know, a simple example, like living with roommates in college or whatever, and somebody's practicing drums at one in the morning to assert like, Hey, I have a test tomorrow and I need to actually sleep. If there's like a conflict of interest in the mm -hmm. space that one person needs to thrive is being impinged upon by someone else's actions, mm -hmm. then that can very quickly produce a, an experience of, of anger. Right. So it's kind of, I mean, when you look at it from that lens, it's just, to me, what's occurring to me is that, wow, that sounds very natural. Yeah. You know, it's very normal. Of course. Of course there's friction. It's just physics. Right. Right? In a sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's funny because we were, you know, the, the idea of, of talking about fear and anger and sadness and all this kind of really root emotions mm -hmm. from the perspective of like of characters and that they have that they have value and that they that they're they're warranted in existing mm -hmm. you know in a sense like wow it's it really is natural so then how does it become problematic how does it become in a sense like pathological because mm -hmm. we see how easily triggered you know we are as, as human beings i think there's a lot of a lot of irritation a lot of angst and it it seems to be an emotion that expresses very frequently and also it, in ways that are very contorted like very internally in a way and that it mm. complicates our experience and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that in and of itself as a quote natural expression it's not given its due, you know, time on the stage. Right. right? Meaning, it's, so what you're saying there is that you feel like the emotion is not being allowed to express itself in its natural form, say socially, for example. Yeah. So it kind of builds up and becomes distorted. And becomes, yeah, it becomes something else, becomes laced with other feelings, mm -hmm. masks other feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is just because yeah it's not given room it's not if it, if all the emotions are like dancers on the stage you know to use this sort of like tantric analogy they're all different expressions of the primordial energy then then some of them get really less less playtime you know and anger and i think sadness too are are two ones that are just really not cool to express socially mm -hmm. people are uncomfortable with with them you know mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so maybe we can talk about that because i think it's going to flush out for a lot of us how we can understand our anger better our, our experience of that emotion sure. um so kind of like breaking it down like so we've got the first thing we said is that anger when it has less space becomes more intense like if you put fire under pressure it gets hotter mm -hmm. so that's kind of an easy one we all know like when we're triggered we're experiencing anger if we in any way shut it down or other people shut it down right. the only thing that's going to happen from that is it's going to actually exert itself with more mm -hmm. force. Yeah. It, but it's a difficult one, right? Because for some people, it's very scary when someone else, for example, in a, if you're in a male female relationship, you know, it could be opposite too, but very often women are threatened by the anger of men mm -hmm. right? because physically they're more imposing. They could hurt them it could be or kill them or something like that. So when a, a male expresses full on anger or rage or something like that, it could be very scary for women or kids. So any, yeah, any kids, human yeah. that's larger than another human, I think that, Mm -hmm. That fear of anger, you know, gets instilled 
in many of us when we're kids because mm -hmm. of parents you know life is difficult you become a parent you understand wow it's mm -hmm. really hard to come home after a difficult situation and not let any of your anger leak but how to be be able to have a healthy expression of it without it you know causing the little mm -hmm. ones to be contracting in fear right so yeah you're right it's really tricky yeah so okay so well if less space makes anger more congested and hotter than more space you know cultivating more room around anger more acceptance around anger and encouraging more conversation and expression of anger i would think would give anger less of a tendency to then go to violence or aggression because right. it doesn't feel as oppressed even yeah. if the initial trigger is pretty intense Right. If we don't shut it down, we give it room, yeah. then it seems that it's actually safer. Yeah, it can be. I mean, I do have memories of when I was really angry and I just yelled or screamed and got upset and then eventually it would dissipate mm. because it's just an energy that wants to express itself yeah. somehow. So when I'm able to have the space to get really upset and yell or just feel it even, mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's at least something we can do is just allow ourselves to feel it, like build the capacity. And I think that's where meditation and you know, being really aware of your body and things like that and breathing can help because I've become better and better at getting upset, but just sitting with that emotion and letting it move through me versus repressing it mm -hmm. or having to like destroy things around me or something like that that I did in my teens, you know, right. <laughs> where I'm just like, okay, I could just feel this and just walk away and let myself move it through. And I'm not going to repress it. I'm not going to destroy anything and do something destructive with it if I can, but just let it move through, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, or channeling it. I, when you're saying that, I was saying, thinking like the guys listening. How many guys had either punched or kicked a hole in either their bedroom door <laughs> or their window or something, you know, broke something in their room at some point yeah. in their teen years, you know? So what if there's like a constructive way to move that level of energy? Like we have a tool, you know, like yeah. punch the bed or like sometimes it does need to be really physical or scream. Like you mm. could scream into your pillow or you could beat your bed, you know, or go mm -hmm. like run around the block, you know, like giving I think especially and maybe it's not so so male female, but sort of the male expression, the the explosive, mm -hmm. very young expression of of that anger tends to have a big level of physicality right, to it. Right. I think exercise is really good, right? Like Yeah. I, I feel like the more I do sort of young exercise, lift weights and things like that, it does help channel a certain amount of that. Mm -hmm. There's a beautiful practice in the Tao system that one of my teachers taught us where it's called beating the bag, where you get a, so if some of you want to try this, it's actually pretty cool. Um, get a get a cheap bag of rice at the store, put it inside um, two layers of old uh, pillowcases, duct tape the end, put it on a stool, go to Ace Hardware, one of those stores, and get a wooden dowel. It's like those cylindrical poles, wooden. And then you set it somewhere, you know, inside your house or something, or outside in the backyard, and you basically, hit the the rice bag inside the pillow on top of the stool with the wooden um, stick. Uh, there's a certain way to do it so you don't hurt yourself. Basically, you want to have good structure. You want to stand up tall, inhale, pull the arms overhead with the stick, and just, just hit straight down in a sort of methodical way over and over and over and over and make a sound like, huh, you know, and kind of yell a little bit as you hit it. And it's a great way to channel the energy in a directed sort of way. Mm -hmm. So I think things like that could be really helpful i mean you know i always fantasize about a good business and <laughs> if anyone takes this please you know give me part of your <laughs> but you know for royalties <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but 
like a anger expression sort of therapy room where it's all padded mm -hmm. and you get you're just given different things you can like you know wear a suit and like throw against the wall or hit or break or something like that and someone just comes in and cleans everything up and then like but people can go there it's totally soundproofed and you can do whatever you need to, to just like get your stuff out you know until you're sweating and have a whole kitchen where there's all plates you can right, throw right, down right, glasses right, right. Like just therapeutic expression because when you live in a society or culture when that energy is so repressed it's really unhealthy and it can build up right yeah so you know how do we allow for that energy to move because it needs to move somehow too and the other th possibility is that maybe we can transform it right but yeah mm -hmm. i think yeah i mean i think that takes a lot of insight and i think that was built into a lot of the practices in Taoist and yogic mm -hmm. yogic systems um right and i think that that can work but we have to really understand ourselves on a deep mm -hmm. level to yeah. work with that kind of internal it's almost like a kind of in internal role play internal dramatizing through movement and sound and mm -hmm. color and light um and i think sometimes the energy is just too raw and too intense and when it is in that place we have to kind of start with something really simple, you know, like, yeah. like that, and then get to refine our relationship to, mm. to the emotion. And I think mm. then doing that actually helps clear the storehouse of past experiences that maybe made us really feel a lot of anger and where we couldn't express it. And in a sense, like that moment wasn't digested. Right. And then we do some of this, like, you know, Kriya exercises are really cool for that, like repetitive twists, you know, somebody sitting cross-legged and just doing a, uh, motion repetitively twisting left and right small movement kind of compressing the diaphragm and breathing out mm -hmm. just things like that repetitive movements done with intention kind of bring up yeah. heat and move it out and give space and kind of you finish often and people are crying like mm -hmm. the anger moves and then the sadness underneath yeah. and some other kind of emotions underneath just the sheer fact of letting go of old anger that we've held on to mm -hmm. is very kind of freeing and can kind of make us go to a different, you know, emotion, almost an emotion of loss when we lose old anger. Right. So totally. I mean, there are other Qigong exercises too, where, you know, the liver exercises where you push the hands forward as you sink a little bit and you exhale and make a certain sound, things like that could create a little bit of pressure in the body and kind of move some of that stuck energy through the body. So there's a lot of different yogic exercises, Qigong exercises that could be helpful for removing some of that old stuck energy from past experiences mm -hmm. and when that charge is released a little bit the anger that we experience might be more manageable is that what you're kind of saying yeah 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 that, exactly mm -hmm. like when you said transformation i thought of like like if there's this body of unresolved anger you know sort of imagine mm -hmm. like a box and it's however much you know a person has accumulated that didn't digest and completely resolve then doing some of these practices even like doing um body work can really be super right. helpful or any kind of like hands-on mm -hmm. um, type of work that it sort of like clears some off the top and some off the top and some off the top and so that the total amount of undigested frustration in the body mind gets reduced which means that the trigger is maybe less and then we're able to to work with it you know through our through our own intelligence but sometimes mm -hmm. there's just a lot you know and, yeah. and especially if it's been repressed um it can be it can produce anger just to admit that there's a lot of anger. Right. You know, I've mm -hmm. seen that happen. I, I was working with some um, MMA fighters with injuries and I saw like that was the main thing that we bumped up against was that 
whenever we tried to go into the injury, it would produce anger. Mm. And it was sort of anger that was producing the injury. <laughs> it was like injuries with like all the connective tissues and tendons and stuff, kind of like, you know, which is connected to liver, which is connected to anger. And it was really interesting, you know, finding like, like how do you open Pandora's box when doing so creates anger? Mm-hmm. And it, like the only thing that was able to, to work in that environment was like total safety. Mm-hmm. Except was total safety. Like I, as yeah. the person working with those, those people, those clients, those students, I had to become really, really yin and not sort of force them to do it. Just become really, really, really soft mm-hmm. and really, really non-confrontational and really, really yeah. accepting mm-hmm. for them to feel safe enough to just be angry right. and be seen by another person. Yeah. Probably, you know, yeah. being a guy was, you know, not helping in the sense that mm-hmm. it was like that their anger was very like yeah young yeah so so that's the thing <laughs> with anger that i've discovered is that it's well it's often a defense mm-hmm. right like you're trying to assert yourself you can't assert yourself so you feel like you have to push more energy to assert yourself or you feel threatened in some way so you feel like you have to assert yourself to claim your space you know so a lot of people who've been bullied for example younger they get older they were very angry or they had to fight literally to survive in some sort of way, right? Socially or literally physically. And so that becomes sort of a program, the way of expressing or defending yourself so much so that you begin to see threats everywhere Mm -hmm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly expressing um, that experience of being threatened. So there's often a tendency towards blaming as well. So there's a couple, I wanted to talk about a couple sort of qualities of anger. Yeah. Just to dissect it. One is that we often feel like we're, like something is being done to us for men. And then we tend to kind of lash out externally. And then there's certain other people who there's something that happens. They blame themselves and they attack themselves internally. Mm -hmm. So there's an internalized form of anger that creates like, you know, scarring and inner, like inner abuse kind of stuff, self abuse. Mm -hmm. And then there's a form of external blaming where you sort of attack what's around you as an enemy. And then you sort of puff yourself up Mm -hmm. to protect yourself from it. And what I found with that is underneath that, I'm actually feeling threatened. I'm scared. You know, I'm actually feeling scared and vulnerable. So I feel like I have to put up this thing to protect myself. So it looks strong on the outside, but what's inside is, is this sort of vulnerability and fear. And on top of it, I like what you said, because uh, in terms of safety, because very often there's a lot of judgment towards yourself for feeling that way. You know, I grew up for feeling really, angry. Or yeah, feeling yeah. Scared. Like yeah. I grew up, fr- you know, frustrated and angry about a lot of different things. And in, my mother shamed me a lot around my anger because she was, I, I imagine she felt threatened. I mean, I can only speculate, but mm. um, if I were her, I would have felt that, you know. So she told me that a lot. And then so I felt guilty and ashamed for feeling angry and frustrated at the same time. Mm. So that could sort of compound which can keep you stuck in that emotion even more, mm-hmm. right? Because like you were saying earlier, it adds more oppression on top of it. So first recognizing our own resistance or our own shame or our own uh, judgment of our own anger or our perceived judgment of others of our own anger might be a first step. And then once there's a safe space where like someone is like, actually, I see that you're angry and it's, it's okay and I understand that. I hear you, then it's like that layer of shame and judgment can go away. Mm-hmm. And then I can feel a little safer. And then I don't feel like I have to protect myself anymore so much. Because I think the key with anger is how do you experience safety? 
whether you know the the external environment literally becomes safe to your perception, or you can somehow go in there and shift your perception around the reality of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And but that's often very difficult with anger because on top of feeling like there's a threat happening and you're blaming people around you, there's also the clouding of the mind that happens, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they say, oh, if you want, if you're in a fight in a martial arts situation, get that person angry. Right. Then they'll lose their center, and you can beat them. Right. right. So because your your logical capacity for processing information, thinking straight, is hampered in anger. But on the flip side, if you can actually engage your logical mind even a little bit and be like, whoa, what's going on? Am I angry? Is this what's really happening? And even question, right? Because there's often with anger, there's a very Sure, you're sure that this is what's happening. Right. Like I know that this person is doing this to me, or this is this kind of oppressive situation is happening, and I'm upset about it. Right. So as soon as you can move out of that somehow, that also starts to dissipate the story and the, the tension a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I think for me, what I take from that is the ability to fully own our experience to really give ourselves permission to feel it in its raw form is is the starting place because then mm-hmm. from that it's like i have the i have my finger on the thread and i can follow that thread toward the spool and then then i get some kind of insight you know but but i think what often happens is that there's a conflict internally between the intense experience of anger in being able to fully experience it right. because we, we have the programming laid laid over it like that's not okay and i'm imagining you know in that moment like as mm-hmm. an angry teenager you know i experienced it with mm-hmm. you know growing up it's like you're not allowed to be that angry mm-hmm. it's like you need to calm down and that shuts down the the fullness of the feeling yeah. whereas like if you had said to the angry teenager like you're really angry let's walk across the street to the park where there's more space so you don't break anything or hurt yourself like just go for it like really get into it it's totally okay that is a completely different mm-hmm. relationship to the anger mm-hmm. and trains us so in a sense we need to for us to start to get to that place of getting some understanding through our innate wisdom and the functioning of our intellect the starting place is this kind of self-acceptance of the raw experience mm-hmm. of anger and giving ourselves that room we need to feel it and then sort of going like wow what is this you know being kind of interested and curious yeah. about it and and i mean that takes a certain amount of self-awareness that, that maybe we're not all capable of you know in the right. raw moment but i right. think at least just introducing that that's a possible model for how we can we can gain deeper understanding and experience and, and move to a place of wise relationship to, to anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really yeah. important that we introduce that as a, as another possibility. Pathway, yeah. yeah the anger Versus actually, just making it wrong or repressing it or yeah, immediately or, trying to shut it down. or Yeah, know. or saying you just have to go punch the punching bag. You know, like I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of wisdom in anger. And I think if, we, if we're using mm-hmm. the idea of, of transformation and yogic relationship with the emotions, when, when I say transformation, I don't mean transforming it and getting rid of it as if there's something wrong with it. Right. I mean transforming the emotion into the, the, the grounds for deeper understanding, deeper right. awakening. Right. The emotion reveals a deeper aspect of myself. Yeah, because very often there's like an underlying the anger. There's like a desire for self-expression. There's a desire for um, understanding, connection, being right? seen, being yeah. seen. Being See, heard. all these needs are actually underneath there, and they're real human needs. Yeah, then they're and they're valid. But, but very often, anger is the the pain of 
not getting that need met over and over and over and over and over that sort of compounds and turns into this intense frustration. So when anything resembles that lack of that need being met can stimulate some sort of intense like frustration and, and, and anger and, and fur furiousness in mm. that person. And it's a, such a strong energy. It's, it could be really difficult to do what we're talking about, obviously. And we want to admit to that too, that for a lot of people, you, you know, when that anger comes up full force, it's consuming. It, it's consuming. Yeah. So it, it's also understandable when people can't. And that's where I think doing some work of dissipating some of the charged energy by expressing it is, is a way to kind of soften that energy over time. And then creating safe space, right? Whether it's with a therapist or a healer, um, you know, even in a primary partnership, if you can somehow get support and work that out, mm -hmm. it, it can start to allow us to feel safe enough to go to what's underneath it, mm -hmm. right? Which is often a lot of pain. I remember one time in a martial arts class, like I was, you know, doing jujitsu against this really advanced student and he, and I was going full force on him. And after a while I was angry, you know, I was expressing my repressed anger mm -hmm. and he would just like gracefully blocked me into hold after hold. And after I finished expressing it, I just, after the last time I got choked out, I just fell to the ground and just started sobbing uncontrollably for this, like, a long time. And, and he was just sitting with me. And he was, he was a really nice guy. He was super compassionate, you know, just sitting with me. And I could feel his, like, compassion and kindness. And I was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. Mm -hmm. And underneath all that frustration was just a lot of pain and sadness, right. you know? So there's this deep vulnerability, I think, that's usually underneath anger that rarely gets access because when as soon as the anger come up, there's usually oppression, shame, fear, and then there's trying to hide it and, you know. And then from the person who's in the moment of anger, then there's the need to protect, right. protect that experience. Cause yeah. it's, and on some level, that's, that's the authentic experience. And when it, it's getting shut down, there's a level of it being more pressurized, but there's also the level of like, we all feel somewhat protective of our emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a sense, like, you know, each person has every right to be feeling whatever they feel. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really, that's really harmful in society or in relationship or in familial situation. When, when a person feels that they don't have the right to feel what they feel. Yeah. Like that can, you know, I think that that's kind of what, what instigates like teenage rage <laughs> syndrome, you know, well, even when it's well-meaning, right. When like a friend is like, Hey, Oh, don't, don't get so angry or like, don't be so sad. And like, they just want you to feel better right. too on some level, or maybe they're uncomfortable with your emotion, but they'll say something like that. And that could be really oppressive too sometimes. Right. In a sense, like, ah, oh, I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. And you just want your friend to be like, yeah, I hear you. Right. But when they're like, no, don't get mad, man. Just think on the bright side, and you're like, "Fuck you!" Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, my life sucks right now. My tires just, just you know went flat. Or yeah, I just lost ten thousand yeah. dollars in the yeah, stock market. Yeah, I just want to express this emotion and move it through. Can you just give me the space? You know, that's a really, yeah. really good point. I mean, so there's a, there's another aspect of the practice, right? So we've been primarily talking about how individuals can relate to their own emotions yogically, but what about in the community of practitioners, right? To create mm -hmm. some kind of shift culturally what if we engage with each other with a kind of curiosity and always giving each other space to be in the emotion that we're in i mean it's just, mm -hmm. we're just socially programmed like you said it's like you you really notice it when you lose someone you know you break up with someone or someone dies that you love how people around you respond to that and quite often it's just it's socially awkward 
And so people want to try to take away your pain, mm -hmm. right? It's an old classic, you know, right. you just broke up with your girlfriend. So your buddies want to take you out drinking. Like the, the physics behind that is what you're feeling is uncomfortable and you should get rid of it as soon as possible. And alcohol will be a really good, you know, right. way to get rid of it. You know, right. I mean, smoke cigarettes, smoke pot, just change your state. Yeah, right. To mm -hmm. kind of subdue it or, or numb it. What if we turn it around and let and give give ourselves the opportunity to really appreciate the emotional state that any of our friends or colleagues or family mm. members are in and become curious about and inquire into it yeah. and kind of move toward it in a way like as a, a, a as a friend in a sense mm -hmm. like wow how what is it that made you angry wow well, what do you what do you what else are you feeling behind that wow what, what does it feel like in your body or are there other times in your life that you felt that or kind of like really going toward the person and the emotion with no with no interest in getting rid of it. Right. That's hard though, right? To it's have no really, agenda. It's and, difficult. Yeah. yeah, because well, I mean, I think this is a this is a challenge of view is that we culturally have this bias against uncomfortable emotions. And therein lies the whole the whole conundrum that stagnates mm -hmm. them. Yeah. So, even the notion of negative emotions, I wrote a blog about it. I really don't like that term you know because it, it, it kind of demonizes certain emotions right it's like sadness and anger and fear they're not negative emotions they're mm. just feelings and we have every right to feel them yeah you know so yeah. i like the idea of being inquisitive and having a level of kind of kindness and appreciation toward the emotion and it also makes it less we we don't identify with it as much when we do that. Mm -hmm. It's not like Cain isn't angry. Mm -hmm. Cain is experiencing anger in the moment, and we can be kind toward Cain and kind toward the temporary moment that Cain's feeling a lot of anger, yeah, and yeah. that totally creates more space. Totally, totally. It's you know yeah. I I like that you mentioned view. Like how we view emotions is really important, and the fact that we view emotions as something that's impaired or stigmatized, something to be stigmatized. Is in self is sort of part of the problem. Yeah, I was just reading. I was telling you earlier a Taoist book on emotions last couple of days, and the view that it was presenting around emotions was really beautiful. From one from one perspective, it's it's more of a natural perspective, like as if you're viewing nature. When you see the clouds come in and the rain comes down, you just see oh the cloud came, rain comes, or when the wind blows, it's like oh the wind's blowing, and the emotions are no different in a sense. They're natural expressions of the self-identity and the biology for its expression of survival and living and aliveness. So when we can sort of view it that way, there's less there, right? There's less personal stuff there. There's less judgment there. We can allow the emotion to arise. We can observe it, see what it's saying, take it into account, and then allow the emotion to move through. And if we can all sort of do that for each other, maybe things will be a little different. And But now, you know, that being said, I, I do believe that for some of us and for me, it was really important to own my anger and own how I was impacting other people and also to get help and to get support around it because I was struggling a lot with trying to resolve it by myself. And a lot of my pain around my anger was had to do with other people too. Mm. So actually seeing a healer or a therapist and having them hold space while I felt all my emotions and being guided in that process was really important for me to be able to actually get into the underlayers of it and build more awareness of that emotion and see what kind of pain or hurt was actually underneath it, mm -hmm. you know, and how I would go about it. Because the interesting thing for me with anger was I was trying to get a need met by getting angry, whether I was trying to set up a boundary or have someone hear me or understand me, 
which is what my primary need was actually underneath the anger. Right. But the anger itself is a very poor strategy because people feel threatened, right. they feel attacked <laughs> and blamed, and it creates more conflict. And as soon as I understand that whole mechanism, and as I was getting angry, you know, in my more sort of graceful moments, not always, but if I'm able to actually feel what's underneath it, and somehow express from that more vulnerable place, which requires trust and safety, you know, which sometimes you have to build that with a person in your life or a therapist, or you just have to learn how to be willing to take that risk, right? Then if I was, for example, I'm talking to someone I'm like, oh, that person misunderstood something I said, then I would get really upset and angry. But if I can just simply, instead of being like, you know, oh, you don't understand me, blah, 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 I'm like, huh, that was kind of painful. I, I just noticed I had this feeling or experience that I wasn't understood or you don't care about me, which is a really vulnerable thing to say to another guy or even to your partner, for, for men especially, right? Because mm -hmm. we have these egos to sustain. Um, I noticed I would get way more positive responses from the other person. I would get a way more compassionate response, which is often what I really wanted. Right. I wanted to just feel connected and heard and loved and reassured, you know? And so I think what compounds anger, especially for men in our society, is this lack of permission to be vulnerable and quote unquote, what we may call weak, which in my opinion is very courageous because it takes a lot of balls and a lot of courage, a lot of inner strength and will to not act out in anger and to actually uh, express my vulnerability or my need or my desire for connection. Mm -hmm. That's really hard for me. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's really hard for a lot of men that I know or see too out there because I rarely see people do that. We don't have mm -hmm. a lot of positive role models, role models yeah. for, for vulnerability being a source of strength. Like I don't think of it as weak at all. Like I think mm -hmm. that cool. that that's our social kind of, you know, thinking about vulnerability and, yeah. and especially you, you learn it really, really young, you know, and if you show that kind of penetrable kind of periphery, you know, mm -hmm. then people pick on you or people take advantage of you or whatever, you know, you see it on the playground, kids are kind of ruthless with each other. And I think oftentimes they're just being ruthlessly honest and they don't have the filter. Like I don't necessarily think they have intent, but it's sort of brutally harsh on the emotional body, right? You just see with the little kids, it's like, oh, the skinny one, the fat one, and the tall one, and the brown one, and the black one, and the white one, and the one with red hair. The... And it's like, you, you, you sort of learn to not let it affect you or not let anyone see you being affected, even right. though you deeply are affected. And that ends up becoming kind of like a kind of weakness in a sense. It's sort of like the strength of non-vulnerability is a kind of weakness because then we self-perpetuate based on the on the law of kind of continuity mm -hmm. we self-perpetuate the exact circumstances mm -hmm. that that don't enable us to get what we really want us to be accepted and cared for and loved and seen and so it's this is one of these funny i think we talked about it in a prior talk but it's like in in chinese internal martial arts there's that idea of like that the safest place to be is the dangerous place and the dangerous place means vulnerable it means like available to feel everything that's happening in the confrontation so that we can then make the best choices. But if we go to armoring, we don't feel anything anymore. And then you're not sensitive mm -hmm. at it anymore. And then that place is really, you're going to get knocked out because you might be able to sort of move and talk and breathe yourself out of the confrontation. Right. But if you're trying to protect yourself in a martial situation only from armoring, 
you lost contact with your quote opponent. And so it's like the ultimate principle of blending, you know, of mm. blending. And so to me, I think of vulnerability as being like willing to blend with the other person and really to feel. Mm. And if, you know, sort of as a slogan, it's sort of like vulnerability is the new strong, you know, it's like, <laughs> right? I mean, like to be vulnerable is, is to be like deeply connected to our humanity and to each other. And then, and then we're so close to actually having access to the things that we're really wanting, which connection is always in sort of the top list of things we're looking for, whether it's subconscious mm -hmm. or, or consciously we're looking for it. We're always looking for that kind of connectivity with people, which includes a kind of acceptance and includes a kind of rapport. Right. And I mean, at the ultimate level of that, we're sort of looking for a circumstance where someone wouldn't judge us at all. Like our deepest connections or our deepest friends is to feel like you could truly be yourself on every level through and through and have any of the myriad experiences that you will have in being human from the greatest joy to the deepest sadness and that those people would like would hold you and accept that to me it's like i mean maybe that sounds a little bit like shangri-la or some sort <laughs> of idyllic reality but i think it's we're capable of that like i think that fear of intense emotions like anger are are, are some of the things that block us from just being able to do that right it, it we're not actually weak and we're not actually under threat mm -hmm. when we go to vulnerability i mean isn't that like a <laughs> form of enlightenment right like if you can accept the entirety of human expression with compassion and kindness and that sort of perspective isn't that a state of liberation it feels to be very able to, free yeah. yeah to be able to do that to yourself and with other people yeah and i mean because because the you know i like that vulnerability is a new strong because it takes so much strength because we're all so defended now, right? In the society, like, that's the default often as defense mm. for most people, I mm. think. So to be, to reaccess vulnerability, it takes a lot of strength and consciousness and wisdom and will to know that that's actually gonna solve the solution or be the solution to the problems that we have. Mm -hmm. To consciously choose to go there when it's scary, when you're not sure what's gonna happen and to choose to be open again, that takes a lot of wisdom and strength in my opinion. Because, I mean, what's the option, other option? It's like what you said, which is to be in a defense, which is like you're trapped in your own cage. You might feel safe, but you're cutting yourself off from the very thing that actually heal you and make you feel complete, mm -hmm. which is that connection, at least for me, right? So when I'm always just angry and in the defense, I'm actually constantly cut off from that thing that would help me feel better. That you really want. Right. We, want, we all right. want. <laughs> and hence, on top of it, it compounds the pain that I'm feeling more and more over time which makes me more angry, more irritable, right? More, more afraid. Cause I'm like re sort of recreating that experience of not getting connection. Right. So the cage becomes thicker and thicker and thicker and my isolation becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And when I'm isolated like that, I'm not strong. I'm reactionary, I'm reactive, I'm weak. Right. I'm not resourced in any way. But when I can come out of the cage, which takes immense courage and then connect with people again in that vulnerability, I regain that connection with people. I, I get what I deeply need in my being. I feel supported again. I feel part of a community. I feel strong again. And I can deal with a lot more, you know? So, I mean, that, that courage aspect, I think, is the key component. There. Like, what we're saying here is that, that if you're willing to be, to, to see that you're already innately strong enough to feel difficult and potentially painful things again and again and again without going to armoring or catching yourself when you're armoring 
in shorter and shorter time periods and spending mm -hmm. less time doing that, yeah. that, that what's going to happen is that, that you feel life more vividly and, and that vulnerability is a kind of, it's a kind of sensitivity. You feel everything mm -hmm. more. And, but that, that's not a sign of weakness and it doesn't harm you and it doesn't diminish your potential or your power to be in your center and, and live your truth in the world. But it actually, it gives you more capacity. It gives you more resources at your disposal to be able to, to be able to do that. I mean, if, if anger could lead us to a place of finding the wisdom of vulnerability, mm. then to me, that would be true alchemy. That would be a true, truly, you know, tantric relationship with with an emotion to to sort of follow the raw energy of the emotion through its whole spectrum gain self-understanding gain understanding of ourself in relationship and gain a deep insight into what it is that we really want you know because when i think of anger i think of like there's always the immediate like i wanted to get to the movie with my wife because i wanted to give her that experience and then i was blocked by the traffic which is totally impersonal and yet I still felt frustration, but I was able to understand it and transform it. Well, that was a very minimal amount of, you know, content of anger to deal with, but something much more intense that triggers something, you know, from childhood or an experience from school or whatever. If I could then, by, by doing it repeatedly, if I could more frequently run that sort of chain of wisdom and get to vulnerability and openness, then I become less reactive. I become less, in a sense, sort of puppeted by the emotion and more empowered by the emotion. In a sense, I mean, that's what I understand as, as alchemy, that mm. the thing that was actually snaring me and causing me to suffer becomes the thing that helps me sort of be more awake. I mean, you use the term enlightened, and maybe that's what it means. There's more space and room and, and brightness in our being when we can use these emotions as sort of mechanisms for awakening. But, it, but that all sounds great. What I see is one of the big hurdles is that it hurts. <laughs> it fucking hurts. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you really feel what's behind the anger, you know? And even it's a little moment like, fuck it. Yeah. It's a bummer to not make it to the movie. That's a relatively small thing to like losing yeah. someone you love or losing a million dollars or whatever. Mm -hmm. To feel the pain of it is almost like the cost of, the price of admission to vulnerability is uh -huh. you have to actually feel yeah all the way to your bones you got to feel mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, and i think for a lot of people you know some people there's a doubt of whether they're capable of feeling that much or if that's safe and i think it is i think we're all capable of that it's just we're not often sure it's like jumping off that cliff into the water in a river or something, right? Like, you know, everyone's been there and they're like telling you, hey, just jump, it's fine, I did it already 10 times. There's no rocks, go. But then you're like, uh, 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 you know? And it, I think it really helps to have support. Yeah. And especially for men dealing with a lot of emotions and anger. It's really hard for, I, I've just kind of seen over the years that talking to different people, talking to, you know, women that men have a really hard time getting help and support and going to therapy. Because again, they feel like they're weak or, you know, there's some stigma around it or there's just some internal resistance, you know, mm -hmm. um, around it. There's such an experience of past experiences of not being met. So it's hard to visualize or conceptualize a condition where it could be actually safe to be not judged and to be able to feel their emotions and to actually safely be able to tap into the pain and vulnerability. 
And uh, that could be really scary and a big jump to make. Um, but I just want to encourage and invite if, there's any, if there are any men listening to, to really do that. I mean, I've been doing that for the last couple of years and it's been huge. It's been such a big transformation in my personal life. And I've been meditating and doing yoga for 20 years. And in the last, you know, three to five years, as I've gotten progressively more support from others and opened up my emotional body um, in a safe space, you know, with professionals, it's been really therapeutic for me. Mm. And it's allowed me to have a more conscious relationship to my emotions. I feel more supported. So I don't feel so at edge in my relationship. And that's the other thing too. And I think for a lot of men, because they don't have so many places to get their needs met, emotional needs met right? Deep emotion. There's a lot of frustration that's building. And mm-hmm. I think for a lot of men, there's a lot of cutoff. So they're not, even for women, probably, you know, there's a lot of emotional cutoff, numbing. We do so many things to distract ourselves, whether it's sex or video games or exercise or um, traveling or whatever we do, mm-hmm. right? Our work. Working too much. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, it, yoga can become a distraction, right? Exactly. We talked about it in mm-hmm. the asana um, talk. It's, it's like, you could push yourself to highly intensified physical sensation through exercise as a way to override strong emotions. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're exactly right. I mean, I, I'd like to think about the environment internally. Like if each of us, we certainly, we need each other and there's no way, you know, to sort of like do it alone. Like we really do need to admit that we can't accomplish anything alone. And even awakening is not something one can accomplish alone. We have all this relationship mm-hmm. to all of these teachings and these wisdom practices and the teachers who pass these practices down. So the interrelatedness of it all is sort of undeniable. Right. And it's not a side of weakness. It's actually that's where our strength is, is in that weave together where we're all kind mm-hmm. of a part of this thing. That said, I think it's really important that if, if people listening have a self-cultivation practice, then there is a relationship with the emotions. And if that's, that becomes a conscious relationship, just like having a relationship with our partners or our colleagues, that becomes a conscious choice to say like, okay, I'm gonna start fresh, a yogic relationship with all of my emotions, sensations and thoughts also, but since we're, this is the emotional series and we're talking about anger, like I'm gonna have a relationship anytime this particular emotion comes up within myself. And I'm going to cultivate a kind of relationship that's based in acceptance, based in kindness, mm. based in inquisitiveness. Then what happens when we do that internally is that sets the framework for how we can relate with other people. Nice. And, you know, in a sense, it's like I can go as deep with you as I've gone with myself. And if I've held space for myself in a really angry place and I've understood my anger through a place of acceptance, then it feels really familiar to go that place you know with you or with the with my daughter you know or it doesn't scare me it it doesn't Mm -hmm. it doesn't surprise me and so i feel like this is like that's the starting place because i think you know one of these things i see as an obstacle is like we're all waiting for someone else to go first you know it's like we didn't have an example growing up maybe i mean if you had an example growing up of someone who could handle really intense emotions and stay lucid awake and and kind and accepting that's awesome. Most people I talk to didn't have enough of that in their in their formative years, and they learned how to manage emotions by other means. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, where's the example, you know? So there's this idea of going first, of being our own example, and then doing our absolute best in relationship to other people, and then asking other people to be that person for us. So, so kind of where, where that's leading is like, if I'm holding space for myself in my own practice, then I can ask someone else 
to hold space for me, a, a healthcare practitioner or, you know, any kind of and a friend and and feel more comfortable that I understand that dynamic. Yeah. And, and, and that makes that kind of work of asking someone to, to sort of help facilitate you through right. stuck emotions much more like the ground is already familiar. Mm -hmm. And then it's also training you how to do that yourself. Because as much as I love the idea of getting help and I've gotten so much help from people. This one session, someone held my liver, you know, just for the whole hour session. Just all his emotions came up when I was learning Chinitsan in Thailand. In a sense, we have to sort of be there for ourselves more of the time because how many sessions a week could you do, right? And so establishing this relatedness based in sort of the principles of yogic practice, mindfulness, mm -hmm. openness, um, I feel like it's just so foundational. Yeah, that's great. It's a really practical advice. I mean, I think in the context of doing body practices like yoga or qigong, and also especially when we meditate, is an opportunity to go deeper, to just feel. And a great meditation is to actually just sit with your emotions, like sit in your meditation posture, follow your body and breath, ground yourself for a second, go into mindfulness, become aware of what's happening in your body, and then look for your feeling body. Like find where's my emotional body, and then look back to the day, what did I feel today? You know, what's still unprocessed, undigested. And if you really relax into your emotional body, the emotional body will show you what's unprocessed because it'll start to come up in mm -hmm. the form of thoughts and feelings. And just learning how to sit with them with mindfulness, just being aware of what you're feeling and being, like you said, inquisitive, you know, seeing, and then also exploring how my, what's my relationship to that emotion? Like asking yourself that question, how do I feel about my feeling? You know, am I pushing it away? Am I trying to get rid of it? Do I like it or do I not like it? Do I get really identified with it, right? Because that's the thing with relationships too, right? Like you become aware of your relationship to that thing. You ask yourself, okay, my girlfriend, what's my relationship to my partner? Do I like her? What do I not like about her? Do I fully accept her? Am I kind to her, you know? So I think in terms of what you were saying, if you're actually gonna relate to your emotion as another relationship, then those are the questions you would wanna ask yourself as you're feeling your emotion. And that can open up a lot of insight. Yeah, and it's true, we do have to learn how to be with our own experience, right? And that's something we have to train ourselves into, unfortunately, because we haven't been trained in it. And it's also, I think a really good healer or therapist would help, could help with that process too, just coach us in the process. And that's a lot of the work I do with people is just coach people on how to be with their experience and, and recognize things in their experience that they might not have been able to put a finger on. Yeah, that could be huge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in that in that sense, you're you're holding the space that's training their awareness in how to hold space for themselves. In mm -hmm. a sense, I mean, that's one of the just the simplest function of working with someone else is, in a sense, they're performing the function of being relatively neutral, open, and accepting, even if you can't be right. be that. Like, you, an emotion might come up, and then yeah. you might shut it down but the person doesn't shut that down even though mm -hmm. you might repress it in the moment they don't judge you or label you for mm -hmm. that and so it gives you it gives you a reference point because i think often what's missing for a lot of us is that we don't have a reference point for what total openness looks like for what total acceptance looks like because we actually never experienced it in our life if you're lucky enough to get you know a, a glimpse of unconditional love where you could truly be any aspect of yourself and have no nothing shut down that's such a gift yeah but that, society's rough you know teachers you know friends colleagues you know the religious community you know social circles it can be really really judgmental and right. not accept certain aspects 
of us. So to create, to learn how to create that reference point by working with someone or working with meditation or having a view teaching of, of openness as the base for, mm -hmm. for luminous awareness, it's just so liberating because um, there's so much more room than we think. I mean, there's so much room for anger mm -hmm. in, our, in our awareness, in our heart, in our body, if we just give it, if we recognize how much space there is. Yeah, and that's, that's cool because that, that, that ties into the, the wisdom teachings and the meditation teachings of a lot of different traditions of how to cultivate empty awareness and open awareness, right? And how to be with experience without agenda or running away from it or holding onto it. And that training becomes really useful in this context. And earlier what you said, it's so true in terms of um, the more that I get okay with my a variety of expressions of my own emotion, the more I can sit with other people's. Mm -hmm. And to me, my healer or my therapist is someone who's a little bit more further along that path, who've practiced that even more. So they transmit to me how much more open and aware they can be with their own experience. Mm -hmm. And I get to learn that, right? And, and sort of embody that myself. So the more that we can cultivate that quality in ourselves, we become healers in our life with other people and sort of can transmit that capacity of being okay with experience. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, that literally on the level of people who have that kind of propensity toward doing healing work, but sort of more generally like a way to create social change and a way to create a yeah. different relationship to emotions is by just doing this with each other. So it's like I think of people helping people, you know, just as friends, you know, you're going for a walk with each other, grabbing a beer with your friend or whatever it is, to behave that way with each other, to break down those social knots around intense emotion and to really go first, to be the person who's comfortable when your friend breaks up with their, you know, sweetheart or they lose, you know, a loved one or lose a pet or something, to be the one who's totally comfortable being in that sadness as long as that person is feeling the sadness and not needing to move them along, you know, to get them out of it, to, to, mm -hmm. to really sort of be courageous enough to let people have their own timing with their emotions is incredibly empowering and, and sort of creates a new, a new loving way to, re to relate to each other, right? Well, because this, that implicit on what you just said in terms of empowering people to be with their emotion and giving them the space to that. I think the other piece is that implicit in that understanding is that emotions are self-resolving. That if you feel them through, give them a lot of space, give them kindness and allowance, they will kind of be felt, released, resolved. And if you're really present with them, they'll show you something. They'll give you a deeper understanding of human nature and human experience. I mean, this is a really profound you know, notion, the notion of self-resolving, you know, appearances. And I think to, to understand a simple analogy of a cloud dissolving into, into space is really, you know, a simple idea of that. When we say self-resolving, we mean, we mean that without modifying the emotion, it's fully equipped with its own arising, expressing, and then dissolving capacity mm -hmm. and its own timing. Like you can't rush the cloud in the sky t to dissolve, you know, it, it's going to take its own time, but you can be a hundred percent certain that it will not stick around if you give it enough space. So because the spacious aspect of our, of our awareness is so roomy <laughs> and so <laughs> ventilated, then emotions can actually do, do what, what they what they naturally do, which is arise, express and self-resolve. 
um, that takes a tremendous amount of trust. And it comes back to vulnerability. Like you have to be vulnerable enough to feel that emotion through its full phase. And, and sometimes it's not convenient, you know, and we, we might need to sort of put it on pause and we're at work if we got super pissed off at somebody at work to then, but then to, to do well by giving ourselves time and space to process and feel that emotion as soon as possible. Um, so that, because when the clouds are super thick, when there's like 10 years of anger built up, it, it, there's still the self-resolving aspect of the emotion, but it's just going to take time. Those, right. that, those clouds aren't going to break down in five or 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. They're going to take mm -hmm. some time. And I found that's where something much more directed can help that become easier like doing something therapeutic or doing a practice like you know hitting the pillow or screaming in the morning or whatever can help just kind of break things up enough that you can get back to you know what I would call emptying the bucket um, because that the weight of unresolved undigested emotion becomes compounding and then all of the heavy-duty intense emotions tend to play off of each other Right. So like we talked about sort of anger and depression, anger and sadness, anger and apathy, anger and self-hatred, they can all kind of, you know, compound when they get when they get thick and get stuck. So we could follow the thread of any one of those and we're going to probably find some aspect of the others. Right. M meaning mm -hmm. like anger might connect to sadness, might connect to pain, anger might connect to depression, depression might open if we work with it and kind of reveal anger. So sort of the, the method of working with any of these emotions can kind of um, spill over into any of the others. But each character, each emotion deserves to be kind of flushed out. Yeah. You know? And, and I think the value of doing what you're talking about is that it's profoundly transformative for us in our lives. Like it can completely change your relationships. It could totally change your whole life when you learn how to be with your emotions in a slightly different way. It can free up tremendous amounts of vitality, which can make you physically healthier and clear certain diseases up. It can free up energy to help you do some project that you've been meaning to do your whole life. And I think, so I think this kind of healing and transformative work around emotion is very powerful because we're very emotional beings and we spend tremendous amounts of energy in our vitality or our prana, uh, repressing emotions or hiding from them or managing them. So if we can find a more liberating way of being with our experience and emotions, it could free up tremendous amounts of energy for your creativity. If you're an artist, you know, in your work life, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, if you're really into relationships, it can totally transform the patterns of partners and relationships that you're attracting into your life and situations you're creating. So yeah, that's a really good point. It's life changing. Yeah. It's, it gives you access to resources. Like you said earlier, like your intelligence, your creativity, your energy, yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's inspiration enough, right? To kind of like <laughs> yeah. free up your natural capacity. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this from experience. I'm not just saying it out of a book. Like doing this work has been profoundly transformative for me as a human being. I am definitely, from my perspective, a better person as a result of doing this work. My capacity, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, has grown significantly from doing this work. My life is totally different. Yeah, I mean, I, for me too, it's just like, I was thinking about the physiological, just the physiological aspect mm -hmm. of it, you know, just injury prevention, creating a body that's more supple, creating a body that just functions, you know, easier, that gets sick less often and those types of things. 
when when we work with the emotional aspect of our experience the physiology just functions more smoothly right. in a way i mean i think it's so important to remember always remember that emotions aren't sort of ephemeral that they're not as intangibles emotions are chemical they're physiological they're somatic right. and so when they're moving their energy when they're stuck that then then there's there's something stuck that's actually physical right and so that can free up creative thinking clarity of mind test taking you know all of it um, and I've experienced just physiological healing of joints and connective tissues through moving through difficult emotions whereas nothing else seemed to work no physical method worked but working with emotions helped the body actually heal itself from old you know physical injuries mm, yeah so it's yeah, it's an amazingly powerful mm-hmm. practice nice. Feel complete? Yeah, that was a long one. (laughs) That was a good one. So if you enjoyed this talk, feel free to comment. Let us know what your experience with anger has been. Maybe it can lead to a future talk on this emotion because it's a a big topic. And we love to hear from you, um, especially women as well. Um, Your experience with anger is really interesting to us because we're two guys here chopping it up. So, um, And if you feel like this talk would help someone in your life, feel free to share it. Because I think this is one of the talks I, I would love more people, more men to hear as well. Because there's a lot of juicy bits here. And I uh, just want to also send a shout out to all men and women with anger issues <laughs> and challenges. We got your back, you know. Um, yeah, we see you. So it's for you guys too that we're doing this. And stay tuned for the rest of the series. We're going to talk about sadness. We're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about um, numerous other emotions get to know who those characters are and how we can relate to them from a yogic perspective and um and if you have any suggestions or emotions that you want to hear us talk about then give a shout out in the comment section it's exciting sadness depression anxiety. <laughs> 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 okay. Thanks, see ya Censored.